0: Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. Today you are joined by the executive board of All Stats Aren't We, I'm Darren Driver. I'm planning to take all stats on an L advised tour of Australia, but not really sure why. And I'm joined today by Josh Hobbs, arguing with Leeds fans from the executive seats as usual. Been held back by the only man in football more likely to reference Chairman Mao than Angus Kinnear. It's John McKenzie. Hobbsy, how are you doing, brother? It's been a while since we've spoken on a podcast. Are you well? Yeah, I know. It's been,
3: been a weird one, and it? it's just been a, all a bit busy, and yeah, haven't been on for a bit but it's good to be good to be on uh I'm, I'm a little bit tired kept up at night by uh children being sick in our house so that's um if i fall asleep in the middle of this podcast uh it's not because either of you or the subject matter has bored me but i'm just i'm very tired
0: Hobbsy, sometimes you speak so slowly that it's quite <laughs> difficult to work out whether you fall asleep in the middle of a sentence <laughs> i'm sorry about that i lose i lose a train of thoughts so i have to uh yeah I'm doing it right now, so <laughs> there you go. Excellent. Good work and a nice demonstration, Mr. John Mackenzie. How are you, brother? Yeah, I'm not kept awake at night by kids, just the the
4: vast enormousness of human existence. Uh, but I slept okay last
0: night <laughs> so human humanity wasn't so enormous last night, it would seem.
4: I think it was. I just managed to uh, ignore it for a, for a brief while.
0: Ah. Good work, good mm. work. Yeah, the world's a bit of a mess, isn't it? But we get told off when we get political, so maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we shouldn't do, that. or maybe we should. Should instead of talking about the transfer window in the twenty three, should we just talk about the state of British politics or world politics and see how our listeners enjoy that instead? No thanks. <laughs> Probably just swear a lot. Yeah, that's. that's
3: I mean, true. could just swear a lot on this one as well. <laughs> to be fair, but we could indeed. Well, I'm actually
0: quite. I'm. I'm pretty positive right about now. So. That's good. That's good. And we're going to unpick why uh, throughout the course of this podcast. So today the plan is um, we're going to do... A bit of a a catch-all episode really so we're gonna we're gonna catch up about how the transfer window is going and we've got our two resident transfer window gurus here on the podcast today and a man who doesn't know anything at all about how transfers work or scouting or anything and i'll let you guess which of the three that person is um and we're going to talk about the under 23s end of their season and how we're feeling about the 23s going forward and we're just going to yeah just generally sort of have a bit of a catch-up so Hobbsy, uh, you went on the podcast last week where, where John Jacob, Tom Alderson and I did this season review from last season and uh, you and I almost came to blows several times uh, last season and I just decided that what we're going to do is we're going to settle it like men now uh, with a laid-back and respectful conversation on air. Um, how does that sound? So how do you <laughs> reflect on last season, now some time has passed? Well, it wasn't very fun, was it? It, wasn't, but... it was not fun. <laughs> it, I, it was
3: a season of... Of poor performances with some some exciting moments, mm. like if you think of our season without the late goals, well, I mean we we finished bottom of the league, I think, <laughs> without without the late goals. Um, yeah, I, I was still finding it a hard one to make sense of in a lot of ways. Like I, I can't say more than what I've said in the in the past, which is like the state of the squad like really caught up with us mm. um but also i like I, I do think that we got unlucky in in the injury front but it's because we got like the absolute worst case scenario of mm. like uh of injuries apart from like if say Rafinha had had got a got a long injury um i think that's the only way it could have like really got worse for us mm. um but yeah i i think i'm I'm really pleased to have just been now able to have a reset, even though we are having having a reset, knowing that we're probably gonna well we're definitely losing our two stars from last season um we're starting the ma- the season what is Melia going? <laughs> <laughs> we're starting the the new season uh, with a manager that we're all a lot less excited about than
0: we were the last one. Any moments you remember fondly from the season, Hobson? I'm going to come to you with this one as well, John, because we always <laughs> sort of said about this season is last season is it was pretty miserable, but there must have been some good moments within it, right? Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, like referencing the moments,
3: like it's it's the late goals, isn't it? It's like I I, I swear I like nearly popped my arm out of its socket, like celebrating when we when we scored against uh, the winner against wolves just alone in my living room just like swinging my arms around like an absolute mentalist um and uh, I made uh I made the twins cry when uh, Jack Harrison scored the the winner on the final day as well because I was celebrating <laughs> very enthusiastically and <laughs> they weren't quite prepared for that um it caught them off guard I think
0: I bet Bethana enjoyed that. <laughs> um
3: yeah, I mean, yeah. Thing and things like the the Joffy moments, like if like the, the goal against Norwich and his um absolute embarrassing of, of Lewis Dunk. Um that's that's a moment where I sort of go back and watch it. Just that. Just rewind him, just putting him on the floor and then play it again, rewind, play it again. So
0: I'm still like, how did he actually even do that? Yeah, that was that was a beautiful moment, wasn't it? It was a beautiful moment. John, what were your favourite moments of the season? Probably
4: the moment it ended, but um <laughs> beyond that, I think probably the only game that I really enjoyed is probably the West Ham game. Yeah, um because that was the only one that sort of felt as though we were trying to do something and it worked.
3: Yeah. It was the actual like happening as we all kind of remembered it happening before. I think so. Because
4: yeah. it felt like everything else... We got a little bit lucky, whereas in... I mean, we did get a little bit lucky in that game as we well. We got really lucky in that game. But we finished <laughs> all of our Bowen chances. We were like, but... chesting it over the bar in the last
3: <laughs> yeah. last second.
4: But yeah, I, I, that at least felt like an enjoyable game sort of from start to finish. Whereas I think the rest of the time, we were just bad and then we sort of dug ourselves out of holes a lot of times.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think it would, be, it would be that West Ham game for me too. Um, I also did really enjoy the the Joffe winner against Norwich um, when I nearly threw John off the stand-upper in celebration. (laughs) I'm sure he enjoyed that too. Um, Anyway, good. So that's us being positive. Um, Let's move on from that. (laughs) And let's start to think about the um, transfers. So we're going to have a little think about the the players that have come in and the confirmed players um, that we've brought in so far, as we all know are um, Brendan Aronson, Rasmus Christensen and Mark Rocker. So I'm going to just spend a little bit of time with each of you um, just talking about what your thoughts are about those players, what your observations are, how you think they'll fit into Jesse Marsh's Leeds United team um, next season. So let's start with, let's start with uh, Brendan Aronson. What, what's your gener- general um, observations about Aronson, John?
4: I'm a little bit bored about talking about Aronson now. I Feel like we've been talking about him for ages because obviously he nearly came in in January, and so I, I feel like I've sort of gone through the hype of a new player back then, and and it just sort of feels like we we delayed that that transfer. But yeah, it's the sort of player that we've been talking about us needing to sign for a while. Um, is a pressy guy he's going to fit into our system he's going to be able to play central these are all things that would be missing so it'd be good to have someone who fills that profile and and yeah it's great to just have someone who is a body in the squad as well so it should be exciting I, I suppose the only downside with Aronson is that it feels as though we've maybe been overcharged for him a little bit or we've overpaid for him I suppose I should say but um the the big take that I used to have is that we should be looking for these sorts of players that we can get financial upside on um, and and get, get value for but it feels almost as though because we've made it our thing it's become obvious that, that teams know that we want these sorts of players and so they've used that as a way of maybe pushing the price up but I suppose if, whilst we have money available and we have money coming in probably this window it's probably not the worst thing in the world but that's just the only downside for me.
0: Hobbsy, on the ball, what, we, what we're what expecting to see, because as John says, he's going he's gonna to do the pressing work, he's going to do the off-ball stuff fairly comfortably, he's used to that Red Bull style of pressing, so that's going to look a bit smoother. What's it going to look like when he's actually got it at his feet? Yeah, so uh, just before
3: we came on for this, I've been watching um, Salzburg uh, against Sevilla um, in the Champions League from last season. Uh, if people know this game uh Karim Adiemi won three penalties in the first half uh in this particular game. Um but uh Aronson uh, impressed me in this game with one thing in particular which is uh taking the ball uh on the half turn um around halfway uh in the centre of the pitch and then just sprinting away. Uh he does the exact thing that is a is a red bull thing, is a Jesse Marsh thing which is Take the ball there, drive with it to the edge of the box, and then try to pass from just outside the box, sort of into a position where someone can either shoot or get to the byline for a cutback. Um, we'll see him do that a lot um, in attacking transition. He's going to be a real weapon in doing that and also in stretching the defense by running beyond um, the other attacking midfielders and strikers. Um, yeah, really quick, nice. Um, ball carrier, nice dribbler i think like i've heard some people being like oh we've signed the american dan james but um he's got he's got a lot more technical ability uh than that so, yeah i i would back him to beat a man a lot more often so he can play in tight spaces in a way that james can't perhaps. yeah i think i think that he his control is decent enough my question with him is uh is his actual like output when it comes to goals and assists like he's been playing in a in a dominant team, uh, and not put up amazing numbers. Um, so it's not like where you're like, oh, will his numbers scale into uh into now uh, a team that's lower down the table in a better league? It's kind of like, oh well, will his numbers even translate like at all? Um, because I don't fully re- know why, but he. He hasn't scored lots of goals and he hasn't assisted a lot despite getting into good positions to assist and good positions uh, to score. And I I think that his shooting technique is pretty decent. Uh, he hits the ball quite cleanly. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a slightly difficult one. That, cause I would say if, if the player I would compare him to in the Premier League is Conor Gallagher, where it's like the main thing that he brings to more that he brought to Palace last season was basically intensity in and out of possession, bit of ball carrying in transition and then getting in the box to score. But with Aronson, you kind of get that. But do you get the getting in the box to score? Like if we get
0: that, then he's producing it for like the first time in his career. That's interesting. And in terms of the positional side and in terms of Jesse Marsh's structure coming th- this coming season, John, you are expecting him to move uh, to the four-two-two-two four triple two 2 and... Their fire and would fit in as one of the half half wide players.
4: I'm glad you said four triple two. There, I thought you were going to go twos all day long. Then you're just going to. I was go I nearly <laughs> did, yeah. we <laughs> rem- lost him, ladies and gentlemen.
0: He's <laughs> broken. <laughs> 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 then, I, then I remembered we'd come up with the pithier way of saying it, the American way of saying it. I believe four trip two, four trip two. Yeah.
4: I really don't know what to expect next season. I know that Josh thinks that we will go for trip two, but there are there are there are. There is obviously the capacity to go in in any number of different ways. Really, we've already seen the 4-2-3-1 which I think was, uh, I suppose, necessitated by the fact that we have very particular players in our squad. Um, we started off in the four-triple-two. We have seen um, we've seen Jesse Marsh play in a four-four-two diamond, which uh, I've seen. We, we've seen him play against. Liverpool I think both times that Salzburg played against them in the Champions League um, and I think that was a lot to do with the fact that they got absolutely murdered in wide areas so it just gave them a little bit more um, a little bit more presence in the wide areas so if we start getting hammered in wide areas maybe we'll see him switch to that we've also seen him play 3-4-3 uh, at, at RB Leipzig although again that was a squad decision probably more than anything um, he tends to be a manager who will start out with a with a formation and go with it until he feels like it's not working and then switch it up so I wouldn't be surprised if we see a few different formations next season anyway um, and I, I suppose the big question is is we've talked a lot about how we can't really judge Jesse Marsh until he's got a squad of players that, that he can work with um, and I suppose I'm kind of interested to see what that looks like because I I think at Leipzig he did have that and it and it didn't really work out as well so I don't think it's necessarily going to be the case that just bringing in players who are experienced within that system is suddenly going to just work Um, there is something more to it than than just that as well.
0: Yeah no I think I think that's think that's all fair and Hobbsy so it sounds like from 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 what John's saying there that that one of the advantages of bringing bringing Aronson in is is that he might increase our tactical flexibility somewhat and allow us to move through those different formations. What what do you think about that?
3: Yeah, I think so. Um like I think in in the four triple two, I think he yeah, he's one of the uh he's one of the two behind the strikers. Um in the four, two, three, one, I think he is the central attacking midfielder. Um and you could have Harrison on the left and whoever replaces rafinha on on the right or or you could even have Joffe on the right in in that situation um and then yeah i, I mean in the th- he could also play on the wings in in that uh, formation as well like he could in a 343 um and in a um in the 442 diamond again he can play at the tip of that like he he was for salzburg last season under uh Matthias uh, Jassel, and then I think what's one that we haven't said? Oh yeah, if it was a four three three, uh, or like the four one four one that we obviously played under Bielsa, um, I think he was earmarked to play the sort of more attacking of the eights, uh, and I saw him play uh, as an eight for um, uh, the USA the other week, and I thought he he was pretty good uh in that game actually although it was against morocco so not a really high uh, level of opponent but i think uh if you've got the right players behind him uh you can kind of make that work but it it does sort of end up looking a bit like a double pivot with him
0: in front rather than a three cool so it's, it sounds like yeah that. that... That's, there's some good stuff to look out for there. Um, okay, any any final thoughts on Aronson before we move on to Rasmus Christensen? Sounds like not. No takers. Okay, very good. Um, I was going to try and do a Rasmus pun, 90s band Rasmus pun here, but um, but I couldn't think of one, and I'll leave that to the square ball anyway because they're better at that than we are. Um, so we'll do our thing instead, which is talk about how he might fit in. So... Um, Hobbsy, tell me about Rasmus Christensen as a player. I know you've had been having a, a good look at him. Um, I think you'd initially had some thoughts about how he might function in the possession side of things um, initially. what what where, where, are you at, where are you at with him right now? I think I've
3: kind of changed my views on him a little bit. Um, I would say maybe in my early watches of him, I might have fallen into a little bit of a trap of sort of putting him into a box of what I think he looks like uh,
0: physically, uh, which is that he looks like a centre-back playing at right back. And, uh, like, I don't know much about scouting, obviously, but that must be a risk, right, looking at people, looking at body shapes, looking at... and and kind of, like, doing some of that projection type stuff. That must be a risk.
3: Yeah, and I think that there are reasons, other reasons to it, in that, like, I think he's a bit clunky in some of his movements... I have some issues in terms of like if if he's getting um, dribbled from a standing start, I think someone that's sort of uh, very quick off the mark and uh, skillful is going to cause him problems because I don't think he turns uh, very well in those kinds of situations. Um, But actually, he's incredibly athletic and he's very quick. Partly, I think, because he's tall and has the, the like long strides, and uh, he's got a lot of stamina to just constantly make those runs up and down. Um, I think, in terms of attacking, like he has like very high um, attacking output from his time at Salzburg. But we need to keep in mind that uh, that is partly affected by the fact that Salzburg were. By far the best team in a not a great league so uh their fullbacks are likely to score more than other fullbacks in in the league are um but what he did well uh, was arrive late uh in the box and uh, he's got a good shot on him um so he would sort of arrive late and and just smash it through a crowd of players um scored quite a few goals like that uh, also he would cut inside and take shot pot shots with his left foot, miss a whole lot of them, but the odd one would scream into the top corner um but yeah, he can drive with the ball um and he is good um I'm a bit all over the place, sorry here, talking about attacking and defending in the same breath, but uh just whilst I remember it, it makes a lot of sense to have him in the um like the counter pressing uh because he obviously knows it all already. And I think part of the issues which John um, brought up last season was that what we would have our front four like pressing to win the ball, but then the double pivot wouldn't be like squeezing the space in behind them, and neither really would the fullback. So then there was just a massive gap uh, after that would be bypassed. He is a lot better at at sort of squeezing up uh, that gap and supporting. Uh, to win the ball in that initial press and and counter press yeah I I think he's actually going to be a really good signing overall and he is cheap so if it doesn't work out I don't think we're likely to lose money on him Um, but I'm pretty positive about this actually working out
4: you mentioned that when you first started watching him Josh, that you were watching him in Europe quite a bit and then it feels as though you've watched him in the domestic leagues, in, in the Austrian Bundesliga a little bit more. Do you think that affected your opinion of him?
3: I would say I actually still haven't watched that that much of him in the uh, Austrian Bundesliga as I mu- as I have the Champions League. Um, I changed some of my opinion on him just based on seeing him play a pretty different role uh, for Denmark, which I just didn't really he did a lot of things that i didn't think that he would necessarily be able to do um so they were playing in such a way where he was the right wing back but he was tucking inside all the time uh in uh denmark's possession so that um their right winger could play really wide um and uh, i he was doing pretty well inside uh he showed better like technical ability inside than i thought he would he would have and it, it was just like seeing him in a different system it it showed like right it's not like he can just play red bull football he can play uh this sort of quite complex uh system where he's being asked to be inside at one moment then back at defending a wide area then uh then move high and wide in another phase and then back into the center it was quite um an eye-opening performance I thought even though uh, I know John you're not a, a big fan of judging players by uh, how they play in in international football but I, I thought that was interesting to see just see him in a completely different system uh, and and see how that showed some different attributes off
0: John um, we've talked a lot mainly in reference to Junior Firpo really about how um, the Red Bull Style fullback role is very different from what we've been used to seeing under Bielsa, um, so I just wondered if you wanted to talk a little bit more about what it is actually that Jesse Marsh is likely to want from his fullbacks going forward this season.
4: Yeah, I mean the fullbacks are the only players he really offer width really in a in a Jesse Marsh system. There will be situations when maybe the front line will end up running into a channel, um, but again the difference i suppose is is in terms of what are you trying to do by getting wide players on the ball uh, and i think for for bielsa it's it's very much about maintaining possession of the ball and progressing the ball in the wide areas and fashioning these chances um the best chances that you can in the box whereas as we've talked about a lot on this channel it's the the the, the marsh system or the red ball system is very much about getting the ball forward as quickly as possible and not worrying too much about maintaining possession um but trying to get the ball into dangerous areas so that if you well, either you score uh, you generate direct chances or if the ball is turned over you have your players best structured to try and get the ball back and then uh, yeah engage in an immediate counter-attack uh, with the with the theory being that oppositions are most vulnerable soon after they lose the ball um, so yeah in that respect when when the the ball does go out to the to the um, fullbacks in a Jesse Marsh system. There is a sense in which you know you want to keep possession of the ball, but the idea is that you're wanting to get the ball into those dangerous areas. So usually around the edge of the D. Uh, we've talked a lot about the the space between the two centre backs and the two centre midfielders, um, or the maybe the pivot if there's only one central midfielder there. But that's the sort of area where you want to get the ball and your players. And yeah, the the fullback is it's, their job is essentially to to get the ball into those dangerous dangerous areas if they can. So crossing is much more important, I think, for, for a fullback in in this system, um, particularly deep crossing. I think we've all seen you know players like Jani hitting the byline and playing cutbacks and, and stuff like that um, in a Bielsa system. But this is very much about just trying to get the ball into those areas quickly uh, and and creating a volume of chances uh, rather than trying to fashion the correct chance, which I think is maybe a bit more Bielsen.
0: And in terms of like the defensive stuff, they, they need to be solid one-on-one, right? Because we, as we all know that quite often if when the counter press doesn't work properly, that they'll be quite exposed uh, in a one-on-one situation. So how do you think he'll cope in those sort of situations, John?
4: Yeah, I so, suppose gen, uh, defensively, sorry, I think the the general idea of what, the marsh system is about is is about yes leaving yourself open in certain areas but being able to defend it those those moments in such a way that makes it harder for the opposition to actually generate the sort of dangerous chance that looks likely if that makes yep. any sense so mm, yep. um josh has already mentioned that something that rasmus christensen is going to be good at is is at pushing up the channel in out of possession so um the idea is that you you allow the space behind you to open up and then the back three that remain should sort of squeeze into that space uh, and 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 cover it um and he'll he'll be very good at that aspect of it um i suppose the the only other thing that you then worry about is that if the opposition breaks the the pressing that you do that you end up with because you have such a narrow system, you you end up leaving space on the opposite side to the ball a lot of the time. Uh, and so you have to be able to manage those moments well. And it's not even the case really that you have to be good 1v1 um, in terms of like winning the ball back. But you have to be good at controlling those situations. Um, and that's, I think, why marsh fullbacks often kind of look, can often look centre-backy um, to a certain extent. Um, but yeah. Christensen will be really good at that he'll be he'll be he will look clunky at times as Josh has said but uh, it's not just simply about being good 1v1 it's about slowing the play down enough that the rest of your teammates can get into a decent defensive position as well
0: yeah good stuff
2: if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers
1: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: Okay, let's think about Mark Rocker. I've not had a chance to watch him um, at all yet, so I'm going to be learning from what you say. (laughs) Um, It's
4: disappointing he's not called Rockerson because that would sort of follow the... We'd have Aronson... Christensen, Christensen and Rockerson. R- Rockerson, yeah. yeah. Maybe we Alas. should send
0: him back. Send him back until he changes his name.
3: <laughs> you didn't watch the um, uncut video of his first day, then? Then Darren. No, I didn't. I, I didn't. Bryn, um, Bryn Law did just before his interview. He was trying to get the pronunciation of of his name right. And right. Like, you, you didn't even bother to try. There. <laughs> Rockerson.
0: Okay. <laughs> well, it's just you know you I, know it I'm from. I'm I'm
3: just so terrible with these, but. Uh, he, he was saying like Roha Roja, Roja. Is that right? Okay, okay, I can say. John, can do John that. might, John might know. He, John's the man for the name pronunciations.
4: I get been panned for the way I pronounce names all week, so I'm feeling a little bit burned at the moment.
0: Oh, ah, yeah, I heard it on TIFO, Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm just gonna say Mark, Mark Roja then. Okay, that's fine. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm glad that Brian Law was able to, um, <laughs> to get that out of him. Uh, so yeah, who? Yeah, Hobbsy, tell me, tell me about Roja.
3: Yeah, it's a funny one this one because uh when the link came out, said my instant reaction was, Oh, this feels a bit furpo. Um just because obviously he's made the made the leap um from a sort of actually to be fair Espanol were like a by the end they were a bottom of the table uh spanish team but a, a lower spanish team to a super team uh like ferpo did um and didn't quite make the grade and we we know how it went with trying to reclaim uh ferpo so far at least um but watching uh roja i think i feel a lot more positive about it i will admit that i was more positive about furpo than than john was uh, last summer so it's it's worth keeping that in mind um that i've been positive before and, and been wrong um so uh but something interesting is that uh man we often talk about uh, as as a good spotter of talent is is ethan uh from online uh and and he knew furpo Uh, And he had issues with Firpo and he raised those uh, on on Twitter uh, last summer before that deal ended up going through. But with Roja, he's been way more positive, uh, having watched him a lot for Espanyol and actually wanting. I think he tweeted in 2020 that he wanted us to sign him. Um, So he's co-signed by Ethan, which I think is cool. Um, But yeah, he's a he's a proper like deep playmaker type uh, midfielder. Like he he would be called a defensive midfielder, but you wouldn't really say that his main attributes are defensive ones. His main attributes are are his passing ability. So he's an a left footer. So it's a classic Victor Walter signing because I, I mean, how many players I think Aronson? And Christensen, like the first signings in ages <laughs> that have been right-footed. Um, but yeah, he uh, is quite direct in, in his passing, looks to get um, people behind the defensive line and play into central areas, which I think is something that um, we definitely need because um, with Phillips, obviously we kind of know that he's going, but with Phillips, a lot of his best passing was into wide areas. Um, so good to have someone in this system that can play it through the middle more um my concerns with him are that he is um quite slow to get to the ball if he's got to travel a a bit of distance in in defensive transition he tends to be late and then just kick people in the shins and 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 make unnecessary fouls or just get beaten. So Leeds fans are going to love him then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know if they will, if he's just giving away fouls in the centre of the pitch all the time. Um, but I think when if the space is squeezed well enough, then I think he's quite good at getting straight in and getting the ball. But if he has to make up any ground, there, there's not a lot of explosiveness there to do that. Um which is why I think it's really important that he is next to somebody who has a lot of legs uh, and is like more of a ball winner. So you kind of end up with a double pivot where you've got a bit more of a ball winner and a bit more of a playmaker. Like they both have to do both jobs in in this particular system, but it will be helpful uh, to have someone that can cover for that particular weakness and he will be... The one who kind of covers for the other player, maybe not being as good of a passer. Um, yeah, I think I think that would work well. And I'm I'm excited to see how how it goes, because I think if he is as good as he can be, like it could be an excellent signing for us and a real bargain. Um, but of
0: course, it carries that element of risk. So, John, the uh, the composition of the double pivot at the end of last season was a bit ragtag and bobtail, wasn't it? It was what, whoever, whoever had two legs ended up being in there really at, at most stages. So, how do you how do you yeah how do you re- respond to what Hobbsy said about how he expects the composition of the double pivot to be this coming season? Because it feels a bit more structured and a bit more thought out, I guess.
4: Yeah, for sure. I think the thing to start off with is to say that Leeds fans, I think, think of single pivots as being entirely defensive beasts uh, obviously that that's the way that marcelo bielsa uses a, a single pivot just as a complete defensive destroyer really i mean we we weren't really using calvin phillips for ball progression that much really
3: no i don't know if that's true though like i don't think like i agree with you but i don't think that that's how a lot of fans necessarily think maybe i think because of phillips being good with long passes into channels or spraying it just to a fallback, i think his passing is uh, rated quite a lot higher i know you've said that before but i think he's thought of as more of a playmaker than he actually has been that
4: may be true but i, I guess that the, what i wanted to say was that in the in a marsh double pivot the deepest lying player is never the defensive one almost um so when i've watched a lot of of, of his f- football teams so for example. At, at at Leipzig, he used uh, Kevin Campbell usually as the deepest lying player. Uh, and now sometimes you're playing with a midfield three, but you still pretty much have a, p- a double pivot there. So you would have someone like Kevin Campbell with uh, with someone like uh, Tyler Adams alongside him. Or at Salzburg, you might see you might see Januzovic with with Mwepu next next to him. And um, I think that the the general principle is is that your better passing player is the deeper of the two, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and you're For build up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and that's something that we've seen elsewhere. I mean, someone like Eric Ten Hag, for example, in his eighteen nineteen iteration had um, had Lasse Scherner, who's probably the more defensive player, and then um, Frankie De Jong as the other pivot player. Frankie would drop deeper than than Lasse Scherner a lot of the time, and I think that will be the principle that we'll see uh, at Leeds next season. So I expect us to see Rocha as the, the the maybe the deeper player of of the two in the pivot, and then we'll see the defensive the the other defensive player getting forward a little bit more. And obviously that's because that's partly because you, you know you want your your more creative player to drop in and help in the overloads at the back so you can retain possession or whatever or give them enough space for them to find those really dangerous passes into the middle um, but also you want your more defensive your more off-ball talented players to get forward because you want them to engage in that counter press higher up the pitch as well so that would just be the thing that I would say to to for people to keep in mind like the the idea that the, a single pivot is going to be a more defensive player than a than a than a playmaker is is not what I don't uh, not what we're going to see next season. I don't think.
0: Mm, that's interesting. So it sounds like generally we're pretty positive about this signing and uh, and ho- hopeful that it'll it'll fit into to things really well, which is really good. I think
4: it's it's high risk, high reward, right? It's um, yeah, right. Which I think to an extent, all of our signings are. Um, maybe maybe the the level of risk is is different in each case, right? But uh, because we know someone like. Aronson or Christensen have played at, in the Champions League and, and not looked completely out of place although I I guess the question is like how well are they going to fit into the the Premier League because we know that there are there is a league tax going into the Premier League you're, you're, it's, it's unlikely that any player is going to come into the Premier League and start putting up better numbers than they already have so the question is where does it come out in the wash but um, again I think this is what we should be doing we should be looking for those players where we can maybe buck the trend of of the of the tax a little bit so and that's what the that's where scouting comes into it right you're trying to work out where you can overcome that that league exchange rate really
0: yeah yeah interesting okay um Hobbsy um in terms of the the rumored other incomings every morning when I wake up one at least one of our chats sometimes both of our chats is full of you're getting excited about players who we inevitably won't <laughs> sign. So who who should we expect to cross off the list in the next few days? Yeah, I mean, just cross off
3: Mo Kamara, I guess. Um, <laughs> he's the one he is the one who I would most love um, for that position alongside Roha. Um, so he's would be interesting because he I think that this is going to sound like complete hyper- hyperbole so I'm I'm sorry but I think there's a sort of a blend of like Kante and Thiago <laughs> like in in him where he's got that like he will run all day to win the ball back um but also when he does have the ball he's got like incredible agility um and touch to get out of pressure and he's a good passer as well, um, and a really excellent carrier of the ball. So if you, if we had those two as a as a double pivot, you've got like a super energetic defensive player, but you've also got progression coming from both players, um, which would be really a big improvement. Um, and he is obviously linked, although uh, he hasn't been mentioned in the the sort of main press although I think Graham Smith did say today that he is one of the players that is liked but they, he's sort of not said much more than that because I I don't imagine he can at this point in time but yeah if if you want to know the player that I want us to sign the most uh, so you know we're not going to sign them then he's probably <laughs> that player
0: uh, him and Noah Lang Noah Lang, the yep, he he's still kicking around in your brain, I, in I, his heart. Well, yeah, just in I heart, I, I, w- I won't,
3: yeah, I won't stop thinking that he would be that sort of perfect player to to play in those sort of half spaces and and get on the ball a lot for us because I I don't think we've got a player like that. If someone else comes along who can do that job, uh, if it's Morgan Gibbs White, I'll take him too. But um, I I doubt we're getting either of those players.
0: Listeners find someone who looks at you the way that Hobbsy looks at Nellerland. <laughs> that would be my only advice to you, uh, John. So we're expecting Rafinha and Calvin Phillips to go out during the summer. Um, and you know, this is the Leicester model, right? That's what peop- That's what we've been <laughs> selling players for big money, and then reinvesting in the squad. Like is basically what we've been what we've been talking about. And it's been a long time since we sold a player for a decent amount of money. Um, Apart from those two, though, have you got any people who you expect to to go out this summer, or who you think might benefit from moving away, um, or who you think are just kind of come to the end of their cycle with us?
4: I don't expect us to get rid of that much. I think we'll see some players going out on loan, um, and Josh would be the expert on talking about about those players a little bit more. Um, There was, I guess, a lot of talk about maybe one of the centre backs going going out somewhere. People were talking about Diego Urente or Robin Koch maybe moving on, but I, I don't know. I feel as though I feel as though we've not really changed up much, right? We've we've got two players in each position, and then a few youngsters who could maybe benefit from going out on loan behind those players. So, um, and then I guess on the left hand side we've got Strouk and and Yelder, who I think both of them could feasibly be used in the left back position in this system so um, I don't feel as though we're really too flabby in terms of the, the squad but we, we've been talking about the squad being too small for years so that shouldn't be too surprising I don't think.
0: John I'm going to come back to you with this one have you got any um, sense because Hobbs has already pitched a potential Calvin Phillips replacement so I'm not going to come to you around that but um, is, I'm going to ask you about like who's going to who could replace Rafinha and I think maybe not a specific player name because I I don't think that's necessarily a fair ask because it is a tough assignment. But what sort of player do you think we need to, to, to replace Rafinha in the squad?
4: Yeah, it's a good question, because I think a lot of people don't realise how difficult it is to think about how to replace a player who doesn't fit into the squad system. So we all know what is good at, and what he's good at is not the things that he needs to be good at in a Jesse Marsh system, right? So um, the I, I suppose the question's that will be raised are one do you just bring someone who's going to be really good in a system that may not be the long-term system do you do you just bring in someone who is going to be potentially the same sort of um, career trajectory as Rafinha so someone who is an exciting player at maybe a smaller and a smaller league um, who you can try and get that attacking upside from Um, the other question I think a lot of people certainly something that people talk about a lot is generating, generating output in the aggregate, which winds me up a little bit. It's a, I suppose a moneyball idea that, you know, if you're, if you're bringing in players, um, who are less valued or, or, or wrongly valued by the market, you can actually buy three players who do the same work as, as one player. Um, and then the idea is that you're spending less money, but you're getting the same Tools and that's a ba- they're very much a baseball term, right? Where you're actually talking about high volume stuff. You're talking about repeatable actions over the course of like a 162 game season, where you're going to have at least pretty much at least nine innings in most of the games, if not what, eight eight innings in some. But. I suppose that for, for me the issue with that is is that it doesn't I don't think it works quite the same way in in football I don't think you can say well Rafinha gets you know 8 assists and 11 goals or whatever if that's not the correct figures I've just done that off the top of my head but it, it's fine for us to then bring in a player who gets 8 assists and then another player who's going to get 11 goals uh, it doesn't work quite so simply as that because obviously Rafinha has done that within his uh, set minutes whereas you know if you bring in two players you're either you have to play both of them on the field at the same time uh, and, it, and if 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 you can't do that then you're only getting eight assists or you're getting 11 goals so I do think it requires a little bit more creativity than just looking what their output is and then and then trying to recreate that in the aggregate as it's as it said so yeah f- for me I would be looking for someone who is cheaper than Rafinha um, which is obviously going to be the case we're not going to bring in someone of that of that same cost but I would be then thinking right where do you spend the rest of the money where do you um, do you want to bring in two players who have different profiles uh, and then and then maybe rotate them and not worry too much about like the aggregate but worry a little bit more about play style worry a little bit more about fitting the squad worry a little bit more about the shape of the squad and where you think that the squad may have problems in the future so if you've got I don't know an aging midfielder then think well who's going to who's the succession step for him can we find someone really good for that for that um, uh, aspect as well so with yeah with Rafinha I think just because Rafinha is so elite compared to where we're at that you can't really think about replacing him in that way you've just got to think right what is the minimum that we need from this position let's fill that to the best of our ability and then maybe think about reassigning the money elsewhere.
3: Any thoughts obviously So obviously what John was saying about that like replacing in the aggregate thing, I think um, Rafinha was was uh, contributing like zero point two five xg per ninety and zero point two expected assists per ninety. So like we've basically got to find if he goes, we've got to add that amount of expected goals and assists per 90 in however many positions we choose to have coming into the starting 11 um from our new signings um and that's unlikely to be from one player so that could be in uh in whoever comes in to play in the position that he was in plus the new like striker if we're playing a front two uh whatever it, it might be um i think it's probably from the sounds of it like it could be Um, Plata is our only link, Gonzalo Plata, um, who I've watched quite a lot of since he, since he's been linked. (laughs) I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce his name, uh, (laughs) but he, um, yeah, he's, he's very like Rafinha. So that would be interesting as John was saying, like, if you bring in a player who basically plays like Rafinha, he's not necessarily the perfect fit in the more narrow style of football because he likes to play in space. I would say from what I've watched of him, he's he's fairly comfortable inside. Um, but uh, he definitely does like to be wide where he can be wide and uh, and play one-on-one against a fullback and get into the box for, for cutbacks and, and shots. Um, so that's why he could be an option and he would make sense because he's, likely to be about 10 million. And if it didn't work with Jesse Marsh, then you've got a potentially excellent winger for the future. Um, I think some people would be pretty upset about the thought of replacing like Brazil's starting right winger with a guy who played in the Spanish second tier uh, last season. But I would say that this is the chance to maybe get a player like Rafinha before he went to Ren, um, so it's like you've you've gone that um, that step earlier uh, in the player's development. So you're potentially going to be able to win even bigger if he explodes in in the way that that he could explode. But it could go wrong. Um, and a player like Lang, even though he's he would be coming from Belgium, which is also like not a great league. It seems like a bit of a surer bet um perhaps and he is still going to be linked i think whilst he hasn't been bought by anybody else because um Orta is such a fan of his so i didn't say that just to be memeing myself um but i think he could be a genuine option whilst he's still on the market
0: okay good stuff so well that sounds like uh, a lot of a lot of interesting stuff to think about in terms of how we replace those those players um, just very quickly before we do wrap up uh, Hobbsy what's the other position that you think we need to strengthen other than the three players we brought in and replacing Calvin and Rafinha I just want the position I don't want any context we'll come on to that later go oh, it has to be left back okay left back from Hobbsy John.
4: Uh, I think there's been some talk of like backup strikers, so I'll say backup strikers. Backup strikers sounds good.
0: Okay, so we did say we were going to talk about the under 23s in this podcast, but alas, time has come against us. We've talked, we've got far too involved in this transfer talk as you would, as you might anticipate we would. Um, other than that, we will be back next week where I promise we will talk about the under 23s as the first order of priority. Um, so thank you very much for listening. Um, And all that is left for me to do is to say thank you to John. See ya. And thank (laughs) you to Hobbsy. Cheers, mate. Nice to see you guys. Goodbye forever.
2: For free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes. Ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger.